Welcome to episode 415 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 415 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Oh, Bevan, we live in contrasting worlds right now. It's negative five in Christchurch right now. It isn't, it isn't a happy place. Yep, and it's about uh, probably about 30 degrees where I am. Yeah. And uh, my wife's happy and Belinda's uh, and Bevan's in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot to put the rubbish bins out last night and Joe's not happy, which is fair enough because it's my job. So yeah. anyway, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofhawaii.com Why is your wife happy? Because you're not there. Exactly. She's, I'm, <laughs> I can't wait till you go away. <laughs> oh, that's good. And I'm sure you've been having some lovely coffees of Hawaii. Well, Bevan, you'll be happy to know. Did you I've do a decaf? De- We've got some decaf for you. Coming nice, your way. Nice. Bring it on. Athlinks.com uh, Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And trainerroad.com. Uh, the greatest tool to help you get better on the bike. Okay, guys, this week's show is a little bit different, but first of all, we're going to have some news. We've got a discussion of the week, and then we've got an interview with who, Jombo? We have got uh, Dan Benedot, who gives us a few different angles on nutrition, and uh, it's a good interview. So, it's a really good interview. Uh, yeah, it'll give you some food for thought around... Um, yeah, obviously, we've had all the milk stuff and all the low-fat, high-car... Uh, high, High fat, low carb stuff, and it's just um, a slightly different angle. And I, and I think some some really good practical points you guys will be able to take away. And then we're going to check a few of the Epic Camp interviews on as well. So we'll check those on as well later on in the show as well. So this week's uh, news first of all, we had Ironman Brazil happening last weekend. And did you find the results, Jumbo? I've got the results, but on Ironman.com, I couldn't really seem to find the splits or anything like that. So we're just going to cover this fairly briefly. We had Igor Amirilo, uh, Amorili from Brazil take it out in 8.07. Santiago Alves Ascendo in second, 8.11. And Marcel Zamora from Spain in third in 8.23. And old Harry Wiltshire finally had a result in 8.32. And Pete, good old Pete Verusic in 8.33 in fifth place. So... Uh, according to triathlete.com, we had Amoriel capped off his day with a 2.52 marathon to edge out his uh, fellow Brazilian. And Sophie Goss did a 55 swim, 4.49 on the bike, and 3.06 run for a 8.56.35. Wow, that's so pretty good. It's, um, obviously, the Brazil course is now seems to be very, very fast because I remember last year Tim O'Donnell did a very fast time there and Amorio there went 8.07, which is uh, fair stomping, and uh, Sarah Gross 8.56. It's, um, yeah, it's obviously uh, a fast fast course down there. How long do you reckon uh, Pete Verbursic is going to be around for? You know, look, the guy's been around forever and Mr. Consistency always kind of does the same results. But how much long do you actually think you actually see him racing for? Well, I think he just he enjoys it, and I think he's one of those guys who's um, you know he's not making money out of prize money, prize uh, prize money. He's making money out of sponsorship and, and working other businesses very very well. So you know, I think if he can, as long as he can keep making a living out of it, um, he's he's not winning many races anymore, but he seems to still be um, carving out a living. So yeah, okay. We just I'm on his website here, and he's actually 40 years old. His education, he's got a master's degree in economics and marketing. He speaks mm-hmm. English, German. Russian, Spanish, and Slovak. He's uh, he's yeah, he's pretty tall. Anyways, about eighty kg. 
Nice. So, so I'll tell you what, the boy's a bit of a smart cookie. Yeah, so uh, good on him. Fifth place. Sarah Gross took out the girls, 8.56. Sophie Goss uh, from Belgium, 9 hours and 21 seconds. That's a bit of a, a ball breaker. Don't miss out on that sub 9 by 21 seconds. And Adrian Monticelli from Brazil was third in 9.02. Okay, good times. Well, we got our, from Joe, we got our email, our women's wrap-up of the week, and the first piece of news, which I was a bit of a dummy on, John, because Joe Lawn put it, did you see the photo she put on Facebook? Yeah. And I saw the photo, and I was like, well, what's this about? Why is she getting so much attention? And I didn't see the baby on board at the back, but she's pregnant. Yeah. And uh, she made publicised it fairly well. They've been trying for a, a little while because I know at Ironman New Zealand, you know, she sort of hinted, oh, yeah, we've got other things uh, we're planning and blah, blah, blah. So good to see. Also, Kelly Williamson. Um, apparently, she listens to a bit of ACDC back in black to get pumped up for races. There we had go. That pump, had that pumping on my TT the other day. And one thing that she did, um, Joe also mentioned apparently Leander Cave has not been selected for the Welsh team for the Commonwealth Games. They've gone for two other athletes. No great surprise. I mean, Leander Cave has has not done anything special in short course um, since she's won Kona, and she hasn't actually done had hardly any good performances since she won Kona. I know she's been battling a number of injuries, but uh, be interesting to see you know what sort of path she she gets back into, both in terms of her short course and long course career. Yeah, would you be are you, like not making Wales? Is that a surprise? Oh, the the. the Great Britain is just pumping out so many athletes, so I don't know who they've selected. Um, I think Helen Jenkins will be, I'm pretty sure she's Welsh, and okay. she's one of the very best in the world, and uh, they'll just have these young spring chickens coming through. I mean, Team GB are just pumping out so many athletes, so um, yeah, that's pretty ruthless, you know, if you're not good enough, you just get cut, you know, if you've got a big name, it doesn't matter, you've got to be, uh, you've got to be yeah, pulling out the results, and she obviously hasn't done that. So last week on the show, I was asking who is going to be inducted into the US Hall of Fame, a triathlon Hall of Fame this year, and Joe let it, let it send us through an email and let us know that John and Judy Collins and Tom Warren, so John and Judy Collins are the people who actually started Ironman, and Tom Warren was the first winner, um, Mike Pig, who we've had on Legends, and Sister Madonna will be as well. So those are the six people who will be inducted. Oh, maybe there's another one. No, the sixth induction class. So those are the people. Mm. So we've got Mike, um, Mike Pig, Lady Madonna, but Buddha, John and Judy Collins, and Tom Warren. So good times. And oh. they are all names who deserve to be in there, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Coming up, up this again. Weekend? We've got uh, the Enduro Man, so they've got a whole bunch of events on there. They have a, a double, a triple, I think they might have a decker, and they've got running um, ultras and all that sort of stuff. So over there in the UK, you've got the City to Summit, which is uh, from Edinburgh to Ben Nevis, which is uh, pretty sure is the highest mountain in Scotland, so it's a bit of, a, bit of an adventure um, by the look of it. I think you climb up to, I don't know, about 1,500 metres on the, on the run, so... Bit of a bit of a Norseman type one, and then you've got the Waterstad Triathlon in Germany. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, Jumbo, we have released this month's Legends of Triathlon, and who have we got on there, John? We've got Ray Browning. It was a fantastic interview. Uh, yeah, it was. Could, probably could have talked to him for a couple of hours. Uh, perhaps a name that you guys may not have heard of, but he won seven Ironmans at a time when there was very few Ironmans around and uh, was a bit of a stud and got some fantastic academic, uh, a fantastic academic career after his uh, racing career was over. So it's a bloody good stuff. We've also got our Blue 70 wetsuit auction is up there live on Legends of Triathlon and eBay. So click on that, get yourself a good deal on a wetsuit and help support the show. Good times, rock and roll. Okay, guys, sponsor. Trainer Road. 
now, Bevan, we've had our 125% uh, competition rolling on trainerroad.com. The deal with that is uh, Trainer Road have come up with a little workout and you go on there. You go through sort of a structured build uh, warm-up and then you go on and try to hold 125% of your FTP for as long as you possibly can. And last week, I was uh, I managed to hold the lead, Bevan, and I'm just going to log on there right now. We've currently got 115 members in our Team IM Talk and uh, you tell us about how awesome you're going to do when I get back home, Bevan. Well, I did go for a ride with Pornery last week, so I'm thinking my one ride in a year probably is enough to get me to maybe take it out. The thing that I do have going in my favour is I don't really have an FTP, and so <laughs> so so the fact that I've got to go 125, so my FTP is zero, so I reckon I can hold it for a few minutes. That's what I'm saying. Okay, okay we had Thomas uh, Gennario on there, and how long did he... How long did he last? He started at uh, 18 minutes and 16, and he managed to go through to, oh, I think he's a new leader, he got up to 20, 25 minutes, so he managed wow. to hold it for seven minutes. Now, I actually coached Thomas, I'm going to have to change his FTP, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, he monstered it, so I think he might be up there in the lead. That was seven minutes, so we've got another one there from S. Forest, so we don't get the names, we just get people's usernames. And let's have a look. He started again also at 18 minutes and 32, and looks like he held it through to 24.58. So he had about seven minutes. Then he actually looked like he had a little recovery there for a couple of minutes, and then he actually went again, but he, uh, he cracked at that point, so I think Thomas is currently our leader. So get on there. You just join up to Train Road. It's, um, it's 10 bucks a month. And 10 bucks this, a month is nothing, guys. Like $2.50 a week. You know, like, come on. Like, it's a no-brainer, and it's such a great tool, so get on it. Yeah, and so just join and have a little uh, play around with our competition. It's only a short workout. It's you know to actually do the test um, is only about thirty minutes, um, and it's a good little hit out if you've got a rainy day. Uh, and you can also go on there. Last week we talked a lot about the the guy um, doing the you know doing a forty k forty k TT program where you can actually you know really work your FTP they've got structured plans you can follow and uh, it just takes the thinking out of it for, especially for you guys that are non-coached athletes you know you can get on there 10 bucks a month and you can follow a structured program to really work on your FTP and, and get it cranking so um, get on it trainerroad.com check, oh, check. And oh. one other thing we've got some prizes somebody was giving me a hard time because we said we were going to do some um, prizes and let me just find an email and I know what we've got a couple of prizes coming up uh, what's the weather like there, Bevan, today? Have you had any nice sunrises today? I'm not in my office, mate. When you're not here, I don't go into the studios. I'm in my office. I don't see the sunrises from my office. I see yeah. trees. The trees are looking amazing, John. They're mm-hmm. looking amazing. Other than that, nothing. I can't, I can't help you here. Has it worked out? Well, basically, whoever can hold their, tra- their 125% of their FTP for longer, so Trainer Road, I think we've got a couple of T-shirts and a couple of little um, uh, free subscriptions just for a couple of months that they're going to put up. So I'll, I'll confirm that, what it's going to be, but you need to get on there and go for as long as you can, 125%, and be in to win. We need, we need, a, um, we need a date, a finish date. Uh, let's say uh, the end of June. Okay, end of June. There you go. So you've got to the end of June to go on a train road, do your test, and you can win. Okay, team discussion of the week. So last week's discussion was 
being environmentally friendly. I can't remember. I think it was James. Right, Thor- yeah. I just I I go onto I am Talk and I mean onto Facebook, and the first thing is bloody. Bevan's face showing up in my timeline. Oh, this Facebook's God, an amazing it. thing. It's an amazing thing. So, oh. so the question James Patel sent through was basically, um, other than wanting to take on all the carbon in, in the atmosphere and put it into your race wheels or your bike frames, how do you combine sustainability and triathlon? What should we be doing as triathlete community to help the planet? What should we do to be more aware of what we might be doing to hurt the planet as well? And we've got a few questions answers here, and you want to go first, Jonbo? Yep, Gary Fegan. I'm going on a camp in Canada, uh, race and ship my coffee from Hawaii and buy my race kit from New Zealand, which is made in China. I don't think I'll comment this week. <laughs> Phil Wilson has got, I once ate three cream eggs in one, go in the middle of a 12-hour training ride. I definitely polluted the atmosphere on the way home. Obviously, people have taken this question very seriously. Yes. Uh, on a more serious note, uh, Michael Barrett's uh, said, number one, support races and race directors that put on green races. And he's got a link there. Council um, of Responsibility for Responsibility Sports. Council for Responsible Sports.org certified events. Carpool to races and training sessions. Number three, purchase reusable and green products. uh, E.g., no one... um, no one use plastic water bottles and refillable gel bottles rather than individual packets that get discarded. So, yeah, That's certified it. events um, looks like a good place to check things out. Uh, Glenn Minnett has got, um, as triathletes, we tend to walk and ride as a mode of transport more than often. Uh, also, less processed foods, as being sa- which helps save the environment. Healthier life means less medicines and chemicals. Andy Blasquez, I think if we're we're brave enough, if we're courageous enough, we ought to live vegan lives. We can win on hashtag plant power and quickly push the ecological pendulum back towards a healthier planet. Wow. There you go. He's got a few other points on there. Lee Spore says don't drop gel wrappers. Yeah, someone else said that about littering as well. David Levy's got we should support local races to minimize transportation and people should stop flying around the world to chase the Kona qualification spot. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, speaking uh, to John from where are you, John? <laughs> uh, Nick Modrilejetsky, bike to work and, and errands. Uh, it's green and gets more miles and training log. Okay, to Tim Tingley, he's got, I only try to travel for the time it would take me to do an event to get to one. E.g., I'll drive one hour for a one-hour sprint race, up to six hours for a half, or for an Ironman and so on. This is one I definitely agree with. Ed Hawkins, CO2 cartridges only used during a race. I use a pump on all training rides. I know loads of people who use CO2 all the time. Small, but every bit helps. And I'll do the last one here. Um, Matt Trench, uh, support your local races. Don't fly, even if you get offered a Kona slot. Uh, well, that's pretty impressive if you're going to swim there. That's good. Uh, <laughs> and don't buy Ironman merchandise. <laughs> righty hey um, Bevan what do you like to do to try to help the environment do you know what I'm not, you know what? I'm, I'm not the most you're t- bloody hopeless that's, I know really, that I'm not hopeless I'm not hopeless but I'm not someone who really thinks a lot about that stuff uh, what do I do to help the environment um, I, 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 got, I, got a, I got a running business does it help the environment so yeah. people don't use gyms how, how do people get to your running business they drive there oh well, you got to get how do you, gotta, do you do you ever use a car John you bike places, Bevan. Or you do you, there? You go. You bike places. Yeah, I do bike places. Mate. Although less nowadays, I have to. If I'm going to be really honest, a lot less since I've had a car. Yeah. Um, what yeah. do I do to help the environment? Oh, you know, I do the little things. I make sure I recycle and do all that kind of stuff. So, but I wouldn't say I'm an anal kind of person when it comes to environment. But yeah, I think overall, I probably don't, you know, go too far to the extreme. 
Yeah. I, I, I am a fairly green person, but at the same time, a hypocrite because, you know, we, again, we travel to races and things like that. Um, but I try to do little things, especially from a race director's point of view. I try to use, uh, try to reduce stuff. You know, I don't really put um, flyers and things like that in race bags, and I don't actually dish out race bags. I tried that last year. That created a few challenges where, you know, you're just handing over stuff instead of having another 500 plastic bags. Love to bike places um, and you know just short little errands down to the supermarket. I tr- try to bike rather than uh, than drive if I, if I don't have to buy too much. I like Ed Hawkins one. Um, CO2 does my head in a bit when people use that all the time in training. So using a pump um, and then yeah, packaging is my current thing that I get really frustrated about when things are overpackaged. It just does my head in. And kids' toys uh, probably takes a cake on that one, but that's not really triathlon related. So um, John, yeah, you know buying you, in bulk. Do you know what I did? What? I gave up triathlon. That's what I did. <laughs> so I don't have to travel to races. You know, it was wise. Right, from the wise one this week, Bevan. Okay, Tony Hodges sent through this week. So he's going, okay, guys, here's a question for the question of the week. WTC have announced a world championship speed skater. Now, I have to say, is it Apollo Ono? I think so. Yeah, we'll go yeah. with that. Is this year's celebrity to take on Kona in the Ironman World Championships? Leaving aside the typical conversation of giving slots to celebrities, there's another issue, which is the fact that he is, joins a long line of male celebrities given this opportunity. Women are currently underrepresented represented in the sport, and so we should be encouraging the WTCs to find female celebrity to take on this challenge and inspire people around the world. So, question a week. Which female celebrity would you like to see the WTC inviting to race at Kona in 2015. Now, before we go on with this one, John, I don't want you sexist pigs out there talking about bikinis, okay? <laughs> Pam and Pamela Anderson does not go on this list. <laughs> Just saying, because I'm sure a few guys go, wow, like a perv, so don't do it. Be, be, be the good man. Nice, nice. So, so the question is, which celebrity? It is true, we haven't had many female celebrities, have we? I can't recall any. I mean, I can I can certainly recall a number in terms of the the sob stories and so on that there's, that that's been well represented there. But in terms of the Just um, celebrity slots, yeah, celebrity slots, I can't off the top of my head recall any. I mean, last year you had Gordon Ramsay and that footballer Heinz Ward, uh, and beyond that I can't even remember. I remember, but I remember the years there they had um, the Bachelor, right? Yeah, and that was because I remember I was in the supermarket and. And he walked in, and, and I didn't know who he was because I hadn't seen the program, but the whole supermarket pretty much just stopped and stared at this guy. So, yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem with celebrity. I think it brings PR to the race, but it is interesting. That they, I, wonder, I wonder if they find it hard to get female celebrities who want to do it. Mm, mm. Like, like, yeah, I'm not sure because I'm sure they've tried. Mm, oh, totally. You'd think yeah. so, wouldn't you? I just think they'll... They want to go after the biggest stars, and I don't think, yeah, you know, whether it's male or female, I just think they'd, they'd want to go after the biggest stars. But having said that, I mean, I've um, never heard of this Olympic medalist, but we come from a from a from a country that doesn't really follow winter sports, so he may be um, maybe somebody huge, but we don't know of him. So yeah, it'd be great to see some more females, for sure. So who do you want to see as the female celebrity in the Ironman World Championships in 2015? That's this week's question. And I, it can't be Pamela Anderson. It can't be Pamela Anderson. No one, no bloody perving team. It's not. A about that okay yes. okay Jombo we're going to put an interview on what's the name yep. Tim no it was, uh, <laughs> t- it was Tim Noakes this is Dan Benedict coming okay. up here's Dan right now righty ho we've got uh, Dan Benedict on the show today we had Aaron the interpreter send us an email saying you guys have been doing lots of stuff around nutrition lately and should get this guy on to 
give some of his pearls of wisdom and he's got a big long list of uh, achievements. He's a PhD from Cornell University, a fellow of the American College of Sports Medicine, a professor of nutrition uh, and professor of kinesiology, uh, director of the laboratory of elite athletic performance and the inventor, inventor of timing, which we'll talk about a bit later on, and also the author of seven uh, books, sort of endurance sports And sport, so he's been working with the Atlanta Falcons today. Very impressive. Yeah, I, I was officially named the nutritionist for the Atlanta Falcons. Wow, that's pretty cool. Good. So welcome, welcome along yeah, to the show. Uh, it's fun. I've done it as a as a research project through the university, but uh, there's a large service component with it as well. But uh, they're very good guys, and the sports medicine team that I work with there is top notch. So wow. it's very nice. So Dan, tell us a bit about um, you know obviously you're you're an, you're an academic, but maybe just give us a bit of an encompassment of your sort of role and, and what you do. Well, I'm a professor, so uh, I'm a professor at a research university. So we're expected to do research. We're we're expected to author uh, research articles, and and uh, we're expected to lecture and. Um, and I do all of that. So I, you know, I write books and articles and uh, lecture to my students. They lecture back at me. And, uh, <laughs> so I did have a funny thing happen not too long ago. There was a, uh, I was asked to uh, teach a large seminar, which had about 120 students in it, just to go in and give a special lecture. And uh, they had a microphone for the room, and the microphone wasn't uh, working totally well all the time. So I kept fiddling with it, kept playing with it. I thought I got it working, and I, I asked the question on the microphone. I said, is that better? And a student from the back of the room said, it's louder, but it's no better. Always <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. a love. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um uh, you, you talked about the Falcons there, and I've, I've seen you've done uh, a lot of work with some of the Winter Olympians, going to, to Sochi and so on. What, what about in yeah, terms of endurance sports? Uh, you know, how much have um, you spent that? I was the nutritionist for USA Track and Field's marathon team uh, for three years going into the Athens Olympics, and I was with them uh, as part of the team at the Athens Olympics. And it, it's the first time in the history of the United States and the only time, actually, uh, that we won two marathon medals at the same Olympic Games. So uh, Dina Casper took the bronze, and Meb Keflazigi, uh won the silver. And what's interesting about that is Meb just a couple of weeks ago yeah, Boston. won the Boston Marathon. As a, I think he must got to be thirty nine years old or something close to that. Mm. But uh, I was I couldn't have been more pleased for him. That, that's just a great accomplishment. Just in terms of again, just sort of getting a bit of background feel. The first book I saw you saw that you you authored was in 1983. So it's been you know 30 years of water under the bridge since then. What for you? Have there been any real particular game changes for you in terms of uh, you know sports nutrition for for endurance athletes? Yes, uh, I, I think so. I think. Um I think we used to focus to a large extent on energy substrates. We used to say, well, you have to eat more carbohydrate or you have to eat more protein or you have to eat more fat or less fat or when you eat protein, you have to parse it out a certain way. And there's always been a, a, an argument uh, and discussion about, you know, what is the anabolic maximum for humans in terms of protein intake and how does that fit in 
to the other substrates. And uh, I think a light bulb went off, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. And it occurred to me that uh, that entire discussion is to a certain extent irrelevant unless we can understand one very basic fact, which is that humans are energy first systems. That is, if you fail to satisfy a human's total energy requirements, however you go about doing that, then uh, fine-tuning it doesn't make a lot of sense. So, you know, the person who has the perfect distribution of carbohydrate, protein, and fat, but who is under-energized in terms of, you know, their, what their total energy requirements are, that person's barking up a tree. I mean, they're, they're just not going to do particularly well. Uh, so I think the light bulb that went off is that we we absolutely have to satisfy energy requirements, total energy requirements, uh, before we can talk about energy substrate distribution. And the, the second light bulb that went off is that, uh, what a surprise, humans have an endocrine system. And um, I know that that sounds, of course they do. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, really? Of course, yes. And we produce hormones and and enzymes but in the athlete world to to a large extent when you talk about uh, energy thermodynamics that that very fact was ignored that is humans actually do in fact have uh, an endocrine system and uh, just to give you an example the way that uh, the tradition in fact if you pick up most books uh, on nutrition now today uh, and they, they're trying to teach people about how to look at whether or not someone's uh, energy intake is satisfying their needs. They look at it in, in units of 24 hours or they look at it in units of 48 hours or 72 hours, uh, never smaller than that. So, you know, the assumption is that if someone is in energy balance at the end of that 24-hour period, so let's say, you know, somebody has expended – 3,000 calories and they have consumed 300 calories, so you're in perfect energy balance at the end of that period, the assumption is that they were in energy balance the entire previous 24 hours because that was the assessment period. And what we've come to learn is, no, that, that's not so. That's not so. You know, and it's not so in a big way. And it causes huge problems when we make that assumption with people because humans have an endocrine system which makes micro adjustments in real time. It doesn't wait till the end of the day. I mean, your insulin response doesn't say, oh, okay, let's see, the person ate 500 calories more than they needed. Let me give the person a hyperinsulinemic response now, right? Uh, or at the end of the day, say, gee, if this person didn't eat uh, enough to satisfy the requirements, at the end of 24 hours, I, I better not produce as much insulin. Is that the way the endocrine system works? It works in real time. So that being the case, we really have to think about uh, how to satisfy energy requirements in real time. So I think that's the second light bulb that's gone off. It, it seems it's, that there's just massive variability between person to person. You know, I'm sitting here, Bevan's next to me, we might go out and do an Ironman and have a, a significantly different um, you know, eat ra regime for, for, for what we're going to take within the race. Is that something also that, that athletes need to be aware of, that athlete X and athlete Y might look exactly the same, be the same height, the same weight, but what they can handle in an event it can often be quite different. Well, let me ask you, if the two of you are riding, before I answer that question, who wins, him or you? 
Oh, right now, John. Right now, me. But we're, we're pretty, okay, sim- so, pretty similar abilities. Pretty so similar John, size. When John's doing better, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> that's, that's a simple answer. Um, yeah, the, the variability is enormous, and um, you know the conditioned states are enormous. Even you know if you look at people who are, you know, the same height, the same weight, uh, one person who's conditioned just a little bit better for that particular environment that they're in, um, they'll do better. Uh, They'll do differently, and the energy requirements will be different, and the substrates that they burn will be different. So, you know, if I can give you an example of that, um, let's say that someone gave me uh, a 180-pound barbell to lift 20 times, right? Yep. Well, you know, I'm a 65-year-old guy. Uh, I spend most of my time sitting at the desk. I uh, I like to play tennis periodically, but, you know, I'm not a 180-pound times 20 lifter, you know. I mean, that's not something that I could do. So if they said, okay, do this, and they had a whip on me, and I said, okay, I'll do it, you know, the first time I might be able to do it without too much effort. The second time would be difficult. The third time would be extremely difficult. The fourth time... I would be struggling. My my muscles would be depleted uh, of energy. I, I I just couldn't do it well. I could do it, but my heart would be pounding. I would be burning an enormous quantity of energy. I would become exhausted in that attempt uh, to try to do it, uh, and I would have to rest an exorbitant amount of time uh, after I tried it. But if I kept doing that act, if I kept working at it, if every third or fourth day I tried to do the same thing and I, I ate well enough to satisfy my real needs, um, not, not just the needs of that activity, but my total needs in addition to the needs of that activity. And I, and I really tried to do my best to keep at it. After a while, my body would adapt it would say, hmm, I, I better make some changes because energy is costly. I can't afford to burn that much energy doing this act. I have to make an adaptation. And it's a survival adaptation. I, I have to be able to do that thing, that piece of work, burning fewer calories. So my body adapts. It builds muscles that are bigger. My cardiovascular system is improved. But in doing that and making that adaptation... I'm actually burning fewer calories because that's what the body is trying to do. So, yes, I mean, there are huge differences between people. And those differences aren't easily discerned if you just, you know, I mean, you've probably seen these these energy bands, right, that people can predict their energy expenditure from. Mm, Have you mm, seen those, mm. right? They're, they're full of problems. And one of the biggest problems is that they don't take into effect the person's conditioned capacity, right? How, how easily can they do what they're doing? If I was going to run around uh, the block with, with Mebkef Lazigi and we were the same height and the same weight, but you know he's a runner and I'm not, he would, first of all, burn far more fat uh, because he's a lot more oxidatively competent than me. He'd burn a lot more fat doing that activity than me. He'd be his... Uh, 
heart rate would be much slower than mine. I would struggle. I'd have trouble keeping up with him, mm-hmm. uh, even if you know going relatively <clears throat> at a relatively slow pace, because his condition capacity is so much better than me. So yeah, there there are enorm and how you condition and what what you're asking your body to adapt to uh, will make a difference between people as well. Can I ask? Take a step back a little bit. So you're talking before about um, you know the time frame kind of thinking. You know that previously it was very much a 24 hour time frame, and and it's really not. It's more responsive, more to the moment or to a shorter period of time. Uh, what what kind of time frames do we? Do you suggest then, like when we are thinking about nutrition and, and energy kind of requirements? Well, uh, you know, in as real a time as you can get, I mean, sometimes that becomes unyieldy. I mean, it, to do a minute-by-minute analysis on someone uh, would make it so time-intensive that you wouldn't be able to do it on too many people. So there's a certain practical aspect to this as well, right, to, to be able to get it. But I, I would say... At least hourly, at least hourly. So if you could get an hourly energy balance on someone. We, we actually published a study in Medicine and Science and Sports and Exercise, uh, I think it was 2000. Uh, one of my graduate students, Bob Deutsch, was the uh, first author, and I think I was the second author, uh, where we, where we compared <clears throat> hourly energy balance between four groups of elite athletes. So we looked at the United States artistic gymnastics team, the United States rhythmic gymnastics team, the top middle distance runners in the United States, and the top long distance runners in the United States. So we kind of went from highly anaerobic to highly aerobic in terms of the spectrum of what kind of activities they did. And it didn't matter who they were. It didn't matter what kind of activity they did. What we found was the greater the deviation from perfect energy balance, hourly deviation from perfect energy balance, the higher the body fat level. Really? So so people who were able to stay uh, in reasonably good energy balance, that has had the greatest number of hours in an energy balance that didn't deviate too much from perfect, and what we found is plus or minus 400 calories statistically seemed to work pretty well. that if you if you figured out how to eat and exercise in such a way where you could stay in reasonably good energy balance, muscle mass went up, body fat went down, people felt better, injury rates went down, everything was good, right? So I would say hourly is good. Uh, if we could find a practical way to make it more even more real-time, that would probably be even better. But we, we get some really good data and statistics when we analyze people hourly. And from a practical standpoint, it's not that difficult to do. What does that mean in terms of doing, say, faster training sessions? You know, often we hear people talking about going out, not eating, and going training and trying to become, um, you know, better at you know, burning burning their fats. Is is that uh, counterintuitive to what you're just sort of saying there? That if you stay in energy balance, you become actually your body composition becomes better, or is the fat burning becoming more efficient at that? You know, relevant. Now, one of the things that we – eventually the person has to eat, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that we find – and this is true whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. And this is just basic human physiology that uh, if you allow yourself to develop low blood sugar, which would be the inevitable outcome of what you just described, then uh, the person will be hyperinsulinemic to the food that they eat following – 
of being in low blood sugar. So the first meal you have, if you've allowed, allowed yourself to get uh, really hungry and, and develop low blood sugar, you, you'll be hyperinsulinemic, which means you'll make more fat out of it. So, I, you know, okay, so, you know, if you don't eat, you know, your body is forced to garner whatever energy it can garner to satisfy its energy needs, including fat, right? Mm. Uh, but what's the benefit if at the very next meal you increase your fat storage? Right? I, I don't know that you've, you've really achieved a, a benefit there. I mean, at the very least, you'd want to figure out how to keep a person in a, a good blood-sugared state, you know, somewhere between 80 and 120 milligrams per deciliter of blood sugar, uh, so that you won't increase, you know, the cortisol response, which would serve to break down muscle and bone mass, and so that the following meal won't result in a hyperinsulinemic state. So I, um, I, I think you'd have to be very careful about the strategy you just described. Because mm. we've seen, in in the in the triathlon world, and, and we've had a number of guys on the, the the show talking about you know doing high fat, low carbohydrate, um, you know, uh, eating regime ac- across the board, whether it be within training or whether it be you know outside of training. Have you what what's your experience in seeing how effective that is in terms of uh, people improving their body composition and also what result that has on their their athletic performance? performance? Yeah. yeah, well. Remember what I said uh, to begin with, which is I worry a lot when when there's a, a focus on energy substrates without first asking the question about how do you meet your total energy requirement, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you just described was modifying energy substrate intake so that you could achieve a certain end, right? Yep. So I, yep. can I give you an example? We had a gas shortage in... Atlanta about uh, eight years ago and the gas stations had you know small amounts of gas and the, the, those that were open uh, were parsing the gas out very carefully and there were a lot of gas stations closed because they ran out of gas so I, I have a Maserati with a uh, high compression double overhead cam engine that requires high octane gasoline and when I when I pull up to my you know, after waiting in line for an hour with my regular uh, gas station attendant, he very sorrowfully looked at me and he said, Dr. Dan, I'm very sorry, but um, we only have eight gallons of high-octane gasoline left. And if I let you stop at the high-octane tank and then also, you know, top your tank off by going to the regular uh, pump, then uh, the people behind you will kill me because you know, they've been waiting in line a long time. So if they see you going to two different pumps, they're not going to be very happy. So take your choice. What would you like, the high octane or, or the regular gas where you can fill up? And, you know, the, for me, the choice is very simple. I mean, uh, I said, give me regular. You know, I'll, you know, I'll take regular. I need, I need to get where I'm going, and I can't do it with eight gallons of gasoline. Right, I, I need a full tank to get to where I'm going and, and to be able to come back. So, you know, it was a very simple choice. To a certain extent, I, I think humans have to worry about it the same way. First, you have to worry about, okay, am I going to have enough available fuel to do the work that I want to do? And then if I figure, once I figured out how to eat in such a way where I can satisfy my total energy requirement, then we can have a discussion about for your activity, what's the best way to 
distribute the energy substrates so that you can get the uh, conditioning effect that you're seeking, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for a lot of for a lot of sports, increasing your ability to burn fat is the is a desired outcome. But you'd want to do that in such a way where you don't then increase your fat after you've had that trial with whatever it was that you were doing, right? You don't want to increase fat storage after you've increased your your burn effect, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Unless you satisfy your energy requirements in real time, I'm, I'm fearful that uh, that won't happen. So can I just make a little clarification here? Yeah, certainly. Okay, I have a pickup truck, uh, not a Maserati. But, you know, whenever I give that example with my pickup truck, people don't find it as interesting. So I had to give you the Maserati example for the gas in order <laughs> Interesting. Nice. Very good. Very good. Um, I guess the reason why we get so much interest in in our discussions around um, nutrition, you know, in Ironman, it is just such a major issue for for, for the run, and so many people have issues. And so there's been a real – people seem really attracted towards going down this high-fat, low-carb method because they think that okay if I do that I don't need to take in as much on the on when I'm when I'm racing and that's going to lessen the risk hopefully that I will go into gastric distress when I'm on the the run at the same time you know I've seen um, research I think it was from Asuka Yukonthrop um, who showed a very strong correlation at the Hawaii Ironman that the more you eat the faster you go, but that doesn't really show all the people that are on the sidelines that are that are vomiting all their the fuel that they've taken in. So, I, I guess you know from what you've seen in terms of research and and what you've seen of endurance races, you know what are the the, the general recommendations you try to give to people to to try to minimise their their GI distress risk factor? I guess for for long distance racing. Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> Quite uh, I, and I forgot what you asked. <laughs> no, listen, I, it's a very difficult question to answer in the abstract because um, everyone has a, a slightly different condition capacity, you know, where they are. So, you know, and everybody has adapted to what they've done slightly differently. And, and everyone has a, an adaptation potential. So can I give you an example mm-hmm. of this? Okay, so it, it might help to understand why um, I'm being a little careful about how to answer your question. So when I was working with the United States marathoners, almost to a person, they would get up in the morning, put their running clothes on, uh, go out for a brief, you know, uh, leg stretching run of you know eight to ten miles, you know, come back, shower. And then have breakfast. And I said, you know, that's that's not going to help you. Uh, you know, you're running in in a low blood sugar state. You got you've got plenty of of energy in your legs to do the work that you're asking them to do, but your brain, the primary fuel of which is blood sugar, is being underfed, and your brain will be unhappy. And when your brain gets unhappy, nasty things happen. Cortisol is elevated. You'll be hyperinsulinemic when you eventually eat, you know, so all of those things, you, you, you break down muscle mass to satisfy a proportion of your energy requirements. I mean, those sorts of things are not the outcome that you want from training. You, you want the training to be beneficial. So I suggested to all of them, I said, look, have something to eat before your morning run. Every single one of them, with no exception, said, 
I can't do that. I'll vomit. And my response to them was, yes, you can do that, but you have to adapt to doing it. Right? Mm -hmm. Just the, way, the same way that you've somewhat adapted to going for your run without breakfast. Now I want you to adapt to going for your run with, with some energy to get your liver glycogen up to snuff to make sure that you can maintain blood sugar. You don't need a lot, you know, 250, 300 calories. So I said, start like this. Find a fruit juice you like, have half a glass. Do that for a week. Then go for your run. Then pick it up to a glass. Do that for a week. Go for your run. Then add a piece of dry toast. Then add two pieces of dry toast. You're done. That's all you need. Now go for your run. You know, after a month, every single one of those runners, without exception, came back to me and said, you know what? I, I didn't know I could feel this good running. I feel great. And, you know, and all of a sudden they were getting PRs because your body is remarkably adaptable to the uh, nutritional exposures that it has, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's very true that if you have, you know, an Ironman athlete or any athlete who all of a sudden uh, picks up somebody else's regimen because they've done it for a long time and now they've decided that they're going to do it for the first time just before a race, they're going to have a terrible reaction to it. And yes, they'll vomit because they're unadapted to that protocol, whatever it is. Right. Mm. So I think we have to look at people who have given themselves an opportunity to adapt and then look at the reaction, the physiological reaction and the performance reaction to whatever that might be. Because if you if you look at what the reaction is in a non-adapted state, you're in trouble. You know, you, you'll never come up with the right conclusion. Right. Mm -hmm. Are you with me on this? Yeah. yeah, yeah totally. So I'm, I'm all about I mean, I think it's, you know, if. Uh, increasing fat intake will enable a person to better satisfy their energy requirements and they're sufficiently oxidatively capable to metabolize that fat. Wow, I'm totally for that. I mean, that would be a far better alternative than to have something else where they're not satisfying their energy requirement, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if somebody can satisfy their energy requirement with a combination of fat and carbohydrate more easily, metabolically, that might be a better alternative, right? But it would require because carbohydrate has a lower uh, energy concentration per unit weight, they'd have to have more than twice as much carbohydrate as fat in order to satisfy their requirement. And that volumetric imposition on the stomach might create some some difficulties. It might take a while for the stomach to get rid of it, but not if you're adapted to it, right? Mm -hmm. If you can, if you can get used to it, you, the body is remarkably adaptable, uh, just amazingly adaptable, right? Just the same way I described the adaptation to me lifting 180 pounds 20 times, right? The body is also adaptable in what you do nutritionally. I mean, sometimes I I look at people in amazement. And I said, "You do what before a race?" And they say, "Yeah, I've been doing it for years." And then I just say, "Oh." Okay, keep doing it. You know, because what they say to me is so counterintuitive in terms of what the science is saying that I think it's not possible that they could have a good outcome. But then they tell me they've been doing it for many years and they have no difficulty. I say, well, yes, okay, so you've adapted to it. Have at it. 
right? So I guess the the key is a bit like you know we we train the house down and we we swim you know five times a week and bike five times a week, run five times a week, but maybe practice our nutrition um, a lot more once uh, once a month yeah. or once every three months. Um, so I guess that's the the key message is, is get your nutrition plan and practice it. You have you have nailed it. I, I you know. This is going to sound boring, but I'm going to give the runners that I worked with as, an, as an, yet another example, right? Because in a marathon, in an Olympic marathon, you get to drink something every five kilometers, right? They have a, yep. Eight sessions. a, a, a fluid station where you, you know, and your, your beverage bottle is marked. They tell you, you know, which table it will be on. They'll, they'll tell you if it'll be in the front right corner, in the middle, you know, what table. So you know exactly where to go for it when you come to that hydration station. And grab your grab your bottle. You know it's very interesting because um, when I was working with the with the marathoners, it was very clear that they weren't practicing, and it was also very clear that they were incapable of drinking enough to satisfy their energy requirements. I mean, if you if you did the math, you know, if you look at the race in Athens from Metathonas to the Panathinaikos Stadium uh, in Athens, it's a twenty kilometer run uphill. Mm. Uh, it facing the sun, and then you know you've got to kind of make a left-hand turn, and then run down basically down a hill into the Panathinaikos Stadium. It's a brutal uh, run that they have to do, and you know you do the energy calculations for these people, and you say you know the the two, three, or four ounces you're you're now drinking uh, at each hydration station that just won't cut it. You know, you, you you show them the math, and you say, you know, you got to drink a lot more than that. Mm. And their inevitable reaction is, I can't. If I drink more than that, I'll get sick. And you know, the response is, well, you'll get sick because you're not practicing doing it in your training runs. So what we what we did is we created um, criterion runs where you know, they, so wherever you wherever you practice, drive your car out there, put your drinks on the trunk of your car, right. Go two and a half kilometers out, two and a half kilometers back, grab your drink, and, you know, it's sip and carry. So you're going to grab that drink and you're going to not, uh, you're going to drink every bit of it. So let's say it's 16 ounces. You're going to drink, you're going to practice drinking every bit of it. It may take you longer to begin with, but you're going you're gonna to hold that bottle and you're going to sip on it until you finish it. And then you're going to come back and you're going to grab another bottle and you're going to keep doing it so that you can practice drinking fluids of larger volumes of fluids, uh, mimicking exactly what goes on in a race. Guess what the outcome was? Mm, some good performance. I mean, they got used to it. Yeah. Oh, here's, a, here's another thing. You know, they don't give team medals for the marathon. But if you, if you looked at the women's uh, marathon times for the United States, we would have won the gold medal if they had a team medal. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you looked at the men's marathon times for the United States, we would have beat every other country. We would have won a gold medal, right? And to a large extent, I attribute that to the fact that their uh, hydration and energy dynamics were improved by their adapted ability to take in more more of the right kinds of fluids mm-hmm. in real time. I mean, we had runners who went from not being able to consume more than three or four ounces to consuming 16 at, at every food stop. I mean, it's a huge benefit. Mm. But but you can't get there by just saying, okay, I'm at a race now and now I'm going to drink, mm. right? You, you have to practice it. Uh, 
Food for thought. Practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? Um, saying that is that nutrition should be an integral part of the training, right? It shouldn't be an afterthought. It, you know, it shouldn't be something that you do just before a competition or think about. It should be an integral part of the training. And if you can do that, you'll be amazed at what people can do. Can you? Um, I haven't actually looked at your Nutra Timing web-based Apple software. Can you maybe just um, fill us in on that and, and where, where your sort of market for that is, whether it is athletes, whether it's uh, the general public, and, and sort of what it is. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I'll give you a little history first, but you know, I, I developed it first because uh, when I started working with uh, Olympic teams, I mean, my, the first Olympic team I worked with was uh, USA Gymnastics, and uh, we won the first team gold medal in the history of the United States by the largest margin uh, in the United States. We we had a, just an incredible group of female athletes in that in that team. But, you know, we had the meeting every three hours, every three hours. And you look at, at the eating protocols for um, a lot of the other teams from other countries, and the protocol was don't eat, don't eat, don't eat. You have to be lighter. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and the rationale behind that is um, that for every pound you increase, you need an exponential increase in power to move it. Right? Yeah. So it gets to be easier to coach if you – you know, if you're dealing with a gymnast who's, uh, you know, a lighter weight, but, you know, so, but we found, we, oh, do you hear my dog? <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's the dog. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my Irish terrier getting excited about something. Yeah. You heard uh, us. <laughs> so, you know, what these, what we found is that, um, our gymnasts, if, if they weren't eating, were getting fatter. Um, so they, they kept having to crank down their energy intake because they would, re, they would re resist eating. They'd lose more metabolic mass than the amount of calories would suggest that they would lose. So then they had to eat even less, right? And so they kept cranking down their energy intake. It was ridiculous, you know, because, you know, then you get sick and then you have problems with bone density and, you know. So we, we found that, gee, if we could just give them small meals consumed more, more often, uh, that they could keep their muscle up and they would have low body fat so their strength to weight ratios were far better plus you know you lower injury rates so you know that worked uh, but anyway and then I started working with track and field and then uh, now I'm with figure skating and you know it's impossible because I'm you know I'm here in Atlanta the athletes I work with all, are all over the place right so I needed some way to try to figure out what they're doing so I developed this software package the what you've described the apple portion of this uh this ios version of the uh of neutral timing is actually the latest part of it but really what it, what it is and what it started out being was a web-based program where athletes could enter in hourly their food intake and their uh energy expenditure we use a national academy of sciences uh system for predicting uh, the intensity of the activity that they have been doing and how that relates to met values to energy expended works pretty well for us. And uh, they enter that. And then I have a professional version of the program, which allows me to access all of my athletes so I can see what they've done. And I can send them recommendations through my program based on what they've done. So it graphs out energy balance. But it has other advantages as well because you can 
you know, if you've looked at the literature for protein, <laughs> you know, the Atlanta Falcons that I, uh, with, uh, today they're, they're classic. I mean, uh, we've been analyzing their intakes and a lot of the players, uh, will have bimodal intakes. So they'll have like 150 grams of protein in the morning and they'll have 180 grams of protein in the evening. And if you total up all of that protein and you look at their protein requirements based on the human anabolic maximum, which is about you know 1.6 grams per kg, they're, they're getting way more than their anabolic maximums, but they have a protein deficiency despite having all that protein because the most protein a, a human being can process as protein at one in one meal is you know probably somewhere depending on your body size somewhere between 20 and 35 grams so for them maybe 35 grams right mm. so if you look at that you know that 100 and you know 50 160 grams right 125 130 of those grams of protein are lost it's denitrogenated it's no longer protein you store it as fat or you burn it as energy so one of the advantages of timing because we do the analysis on an hourly basis is we not only can look at what a person's hourly energy balance is like and you know it gets all graphed out but we can also look at every single nutrient which we now know for many nutrients uh, is very useful to look at it that way to, protein is one of them but you know folic acid you know the requirement for folic acid is about 400 micrograms well if you if you have 100 micrograms four times a day you lower cancer risk but you have 400 micrograms all at once you increase cancer risk so the 24-hour intake uh, doesn't give you all the information that you need but doing it the way that we do it helps us get a, a much different view of what's actually there are you there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm trying to process it all <laughs> <laughs> Shall I slow down? Shall I no, no, I think the thing is, is that the question I, I was wondering was, uh, well, no, the question I was wondering is, is, what's the application for everyday people who don't, you know, have a lab and stuff? And it sounds like this is a good tool for the athletes who are listening to this to maybe download the app and yeah. uh, and start to figure out what their energy requirements are per hour. Yeah, I mean, it is a good, you know, my, my wife is a, uh, I've just bought it, by the way. So you know, <laughs> made you some money. My wife is a is a uh, drop dead gorgeous uh, dietitian uh, who now works at Northside Hospital Oncology Center. She's she's trained at uh, Sloan Kettering in um, nutrition oncology uh, in New York City, and she's one of the few new, uh, dietitians who have training in oncology in Atlanta. So, but before that, she she was in private practice for seven years, and you know I was she helped me put the professional interface uh, together so that dietitians could use it and you know have it effective. But you know the original idea was to use it with athletes. I mean that was my focus point. But uh, holy mackerel, we're we're getting some unbelievable data coming out with non-athletes using the same program and and we have the same results which is the greater the number of hours you spend in an energy balance above or below plus or minus 400 calories of energy balance the higher your risk of high body fat low muscle mass all kinds of problems mm. uh, and so my wife was using it with her non-athlete obese patients and she found it was the absolutely the only way she could get 
hyper-obese patients to lose fat without losing muscle uh, because the, the very low-calorie diets that most uh, obese individuals are put on uh, invariably cause them to lose muscle. muscle. And then it becomes extremely difficult once you lose your metabolic mass to actually uh, keep losing fat mass, right? So uh, I've got five graduate students uh, right now working on their thesis projects, two, two PhD students working on doctoral projects. All of them are using uh, NutriTiming as their data collection instrument and the results are breathtaking. I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, what we're finding, regardless of the population, regardless of whether it's a, a young, old, female, male, athlete, non-athlete. One of my students last year did a study uh, that she's now preparing for publication. She looked at a group of 8 to 14-year-old kids, and these kids all went to the same school, and she she measured uh, body composition and energy intake. She she found something kind of interesting. You know, they'll have breakfast at six thirty or seven, and then all of these kids that she measured were in the same phys ed class uh, at ten o'clock in the morning. And then uh, some of the kids had the early lunch right after the phys ed class at about quarter to eleven or eleven o'clock. But some of the kids had the late lunch at one o'clock. Right. Well, the kids who had the late lunch had a significantly higher body fat percent than the kids who had the early lunch because they stayed in better energy balance. Same total energy intake. They were exposed to the same food. The timing of intake was entirely different, so they went into a steeper energy balance deficit. If I can give you an exaggeration of this, um, let's say – so who am I talking with right now? Uh, Bevan. Bevan, me. Yep. Okay, so Bevan. Did you say Bevan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With a B? Yeah. yeah. I know. With it's rare in America. B-E-V-I-N? All close. A-N. You know pretty well. Uh, so what were your parents thinking when they named you that? So I'm just kidding. Where's the love? <laughs> you know, we bring you on the show and, and you abuse me. <laughs> so, Bevan, so let's say that your energy requirement was 3,000 calories. Well, yep. Okay. Uh and you ate a 3,000-calorie breakfast, but nothing else the rest of the day. Yep. Okay? You'd have a certain outcome there, right? You'd store a lot of fat, and you'd lose a lot of muscle because your body couldn't tolerate that 3,000 calories all at once easily. You'd, you, you know, insulin is produced exponentially to the caloric load of the meal you eat, right? So if you eat a 500-calorie meal, let's say you produce 500 units of insulin. If you, if you eat a 1,000-calorie meal... If there was logic in the system, you'd produce 1,000 units of insulin. But no, you produce 3,000 units of insulin. Okay, so it goes You do 2,000 calorie meal, you, you produce 10,000 units of it. It goes up exponentially, right? Yep. So the bigger the meal, the, the greater the fat potential that you have, right? The greater, regardless of what, of what the energy substrate distribution is of the meal that you're eating, if it's a high-calorie meal, right, you're eating a lot of calories at once, you're going to make a lot of fat, and you're going to store a lot of fat out of that meal. Yep. So, you know, so you'll store, but then later, because you've stored all the fat, you know, the metabolic pathway for going from carbohydrate, protein, or fat to fat is pretty straightforward. But once it's fat, you can't make protein or carbohydrate out of it, right? Mm. That's it. It's a one-way pathway, right? So, but you've already consumed your energy requirement, 
right, with 3,000 calories, you can't eat any more because then you'd be in an energy surplus, right? So then your body has to look at other ways to make the carbohydrate it needs in order to function. So you, you go into gluconeogenesis, you break down muscle, you migrate amino acids, glycogenic amino acids like alanine to the liver, and then uh, in the alanine-glucose cycle, you make glucose out of the alanine, but it's at the cost of your muscle mass, right? So if you eat that way, you increase fat and you decrease muscle. If you, if you, let's say you, you didn't like that strategy of the 3,000 calorie breakfast, you said that didn't work for you. So now you're going to eat a 3,000 calorie dinner, right? Same problem, right? You're, you're going to go into a low blood sugar state, you need carbohydrate, you go into gluconeogenesis, problem. And then you have this big meal at the end of the day, you make a lot of fat out of it. So you both lose muscle and gain fat when you do that, right? I, I'm giving that to you as an exaggeration. Yeah, right? yeah. Right. Uh, so if you don't have energy in real time as your body needs it, you create difficulties. And neutral timing helps guide you so that you know exactly, um, you know, you, when, when with the app that you have, we use it as a field device. Because if you have the, the um, uh, web-based program, you know, that's called Nutri Timing Advantage, not the professional version, but just, you know, the casual version. If you have that, you can sync your, your iPhone to that. And it's a two-way sync, so whatever you have on your iPhone will go to the web, and whatever you have on the web will go to your iPhone. But on the web, you can also look at vitamins, minerals, a lot of other nutrients, you know, and see, you know, what's going on there. You can, you can print out a meal plan, you know. So what I have, what I do with the athletes I work with is I say play a game. Don't don't analyze what you've done because what you've done didn't produce exactly what you wanted, right? So let's start afresh, all right? So play a game. First, put in all of your activities that you know you're going to have. You know when it is. You know how intensely it, you're going to feel You know when you do it and how hard you're going to work. Put those in for every hour of the day that you have that kind of an activity, so now you've got your energy expenditure put in, right? Now play a food game. Add a food here, add a food there, change the amount, add a beverage here. Just keep playing with it until you come out in the green zone the entire day, okay? And when you're in the green zone, that's, your, that's the meal plan that you're going to try to follow. And there are going to be things that you realize, okay, you thought you could drink this here and you couldn't, or you thought you could eat that there and you couldn't. So you tweak it, you try it again. And you know, the athletes who I have who do that for about five days, man, they get it. They do so much better. It's amazing. Wow. I mean, and then after a while, they don't need the app. I mean, the app is, you know, it's a training tool. It helps them understand what they have to do. They'll go back to the app if their training schedule changes and say, hmm, how am I going to, how am I going to work my eating in so that I can, uh, get this to work well with my new training schedule. And so they'll use it for that purpose. But, you know, once you, once you do it for a while, you get it. You understand what you have to do. You've given us plenty of uh, food for thought, so to speak. <laughs> Excuse the pun. Excuse the pun. Dan, we could talk to you for, for hours. Um, if people want to find out more about what you do, you've got foodandsport.com. Is that the best place to, for people to follow you, or have you got uh, other places you're on, you're on Twitter and things like that as well? I am on Twitter, and I try to post uh, 
nutrition and activity or nutrition and uh, health uh, pieces of information on Twitter. And my address is uh, Dr. Dan Benardot, D-R-D-A-N-B-E-N-A-R-D-O-T, B-E-V-I-N. Uh, I'm just kidding about the <laughs> and, uh, You got it wrong. It's an A, remember? Uh, Jeepers, creepers. <laughs> so, um, I, it's a great name. Uh, I, I like the uniqueness of it. It's great. The, uh, and then, uh, you know, NutriTiming is the NutriTiming.com is the uh, website where you, if you want to get the program, you know, it, it's really interesting. The, the professional version of that program costs $240 a year and you can analyze an infinite number of people on it. Mm. Infinite, yep. no yep. limit. And you can sync to an infinite number of people. So if clients have the advantage account, you can sync to an infinite number. So if you've got a professional who's working with athletes, uh, plus, it has a built-in medical record, so you can put in an athlete's goals, where they want to attend. You, it'll plot out for you, you know, how they've done over time. Uh, so it, it has some pretty cool features as a, a way of analyzing a person's diet and keeping track of their weight and body composition goals uh, that they've developed for themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, then the iOS device, each part of it is standalone, so you could just have the professional version or you could have the the advantage version or the iOS version, they all stand alone or they, they sync with each other if you want them to. Um, so anyway, uh, food and sport.com, uh, Dr. Dan Benardot, uh, or NutriTiming.com, uh, are the best ways that NutriTiming.com is the best way to access my, my, what I would call, um, my applied intellect. Yep. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's the program that's allowed me to, uh, put together what I what I've come up with uh, intellectually awesome well yeah looks great mate well good work keep it up no that's brilliant you've certainly um, helped clarify a number of areas where I know both myself and a lot of the listeners had uh, had questions on so um, appreciate your time and uh, go the Falcons thank you very much they'll appreciate that (laughs) (laughs) and tell them them Bevan said so as well yeah yeah they'll love that (laughs) I will it's a it's been a, a pleasure talking with you i hope you didn't feel as if i evaded a lot of your questions but oh you totally uh, did but that's okay because you, you, you're wise so we, 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 <laughs> yeah no, it's it's just very very difficult to answer questions because the variables of conditioned state and you know and ad- adapted state all play into what the outcomes will be so my apologies for that but no. I, I gave it my best shot no, that was great we appreciate your time so you have a good day thanks very much dan my thanks pleasure. for your time did I answer your questions? You, you, you certainly helped because we've, we've, you know, we've had a lot of guys, um, you know, Tim Noakes and stuff, really coming on and hitting the high fat, low carb, um, pretty hard. And a lot of them been talking about, you know, going into a fasted state, and and people still seem to be struggling a bit around that. And and I, I just really liked some of your, you know, your your, your comments around the the keeping the energy balance because so many triathletes just. They train the house down and they just can't lose their weight. And also, I think we really helped simplify the fact that, you know, you just got to practice these things a bit more because people just don't practice them them enough. Can I, uh, will you be commenting on this show um, 
at all because there's one little there's one little thing I'd like to add to this if you've yeah, got uh, one. I've, yeah, I've, I'm still recording, so I can put this in. Yep, we can cut we can cut that last yeah. bit out and we can yep. we can add that in because uh, this this one little bit is very important. Um, if you think of humans as uh, having arrived at this point because uh, we figured out how to survive to get to this point, right? So if you if you use a survival model, you know for what human physiology is like, you, you begin to understand why we behave the way that we do, right? Yeah. So, you know, if, if somebody is presented with too few calories, then from, from a survival standpoint, they're obligated to lower the requirement for calories, right? So, and the only way that you can do that is by lowering metabolic mass, right? Mm -hmm. To survive, because if you didn't do that, you couldn't survive, yeah. right? That if you present somebody with too few calories, then you're obligated to make that adaptation and the only logical adaptation. But we're also obligated to be a certain size because if a predator comes along and he looks at a small beast and a big beast, the small beast is the easier meal. They'll go after the small beast. So one of the things that you see with humans is that we can get bigger on fewer calories, but what constitutes our size, our, you know, our larger size, inevitably is less muscle and more fat, you know, on, on fewer calories. But again, if you, if you apply a survival model to it, you know, you begin to understand that. The, the other thing that's a survival issue is our incredible ability to store fat. Mm. Oh, my God. I mean, you eat too little, you store fat. You eat too much, you store fat. I mean, we're, we're just remarkably efficient fat stores. But also, if, if you allow the system to do it, we're also remarkably good fat burners, right? I mean, if you, if you give your system an opportunity to learn how to do that, we can burn fat remarkably well, right? We're, we're incredibly good. So I don't totally disagree with Tim Noakes, mm -hmm. right, in saying that, you know, having more fat and less carbohydrate. But boy, you better be conditioned in order to be able to deal with that. Mm -hmm. distribution right and you also have to think of it in the context of satisfying energy requirements right both i mean you can't you can't so you know if, if i were to kill a walrus a thousand years ago and i don't have refrigeration i'm going to eat as much as i possibly can and my capacity to store the excess calories are as fat is huge right well i've carried those genes those genes forward to today so i can do that now right I mean, I have that capacity now, even though I don't want that capacity. Yeah. You know, I, I still am carrying those genes, which allowed me to get to this point. I mean, my my family line is here because I was able to store excess calories as fat. I'm here now because my genes allow me to ratchet down my capacity to burn calories in the presence of an inadequate caloric intake. That's why I'm here, because because I learned to survive that. And, and my family line just happened to have that genetic benefit. So I was able to make it here. The problem is those aren't particularly good things that we want right now because food is much more available. Yeah. Than of course, yeah. Mm. Oh, so, uh, so it creates, I think a lot of difficulty. Mm. Yeah. I know that's all good. We'll tack that on the end there. Yeah, mate. Yep. Legend. Brilliant. And feel free to name your grandchildren Bevan. <laughs> Hey, you know, I think I might. You know, I've got one now, uh, Eva, but I'm hoping for more, and I'm going to throw Bevan into the nice. into the mix. I think it's a wonderful name. So I do. I'm not kidding. I think it's a great name. It's <laughs> so good. 
Cool, man. You have a good day. Thanks, mate. Thanks for your time. Take care. See you, mate. And we are back, Jumbo. What do you think? Great. Yep. No, I thought um, there was some good practical stuff in there, but it has also at the same time confused me somewhat. And, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about was um, uh, some of it was, you know, uh, completely contradictory to what we heard from, from Noakes. And, yeah, so I've just got to do a little bit of thinking. But, I, you know, probably one of the key things that uh, came out of it for me is we just don't practice our race nutrition enough. Um, yeah. and, as, and as coaches as well, you know, I'm trying, I usually say, right, practice your race nutrition, practice your race nutrition here, practice it here. Um, and athletes, uh, you know, sometimes do it, but they don't necessarily do it 100%. But I think that's the, one of the really key things is, um, is A, it's really hard to find out what works for you, but if you've got something that works with you, I'd suggest uh, sticking with it rather than trying to um, fancy it all up just because you hear of some latest trend. If you've got something that your stomach can handle and you found works, I'd say generally stick with it. But if, if you haven't, you just got to practice more often. Do simulations. Do do long rides. So yesterday we had um, we rode the Ironman course over here and I executed exactly what I planned to do for Ironman. So just, just constantly practicing and just letting your stomach uh, and your system adapt to it. So I think that's probably the, the key thing that came out of it for me is practice, practice, practice. So um, there's a couple of things that came out for me and I think that practice thing is really important and uh, it's pretty obvious. You know, it's funny where someone like yourself, John, who's been an athlete forever, you kind of know how your body works but it's actually probably because you have practiced a lot over the years and you've kind of kind of refined your way of making it work and it definitely as he, as he said that answer it was kind of one of those kind of obvious answers but reinforce something we don't do very well so definitely that side of it but I actually went on because we recorded that last week so I actually went on to his website and kind of tried his his um what's it called yeah, yeah no yep. well, that, the app's actually not that good so the app you, you really need to go on the website and to be honest the website it, it, it's not very good at explaining how it works, so you kind of have to do a little bit of watching the videos to under. Once you understand, it, it's actually very simple, but it doesn't give a clear direction of how it works. But that whole idea of the plus four hundred calories on negative four hundred calories, and so I kind of just went through it for about four or five days, and just to see what was the experience and what did it teach me about my eating habits. And a couple mm. of things it taught me is that a I probably don't eat enough, um, only by a few hundred calories, but you know I could probably eat a little bit more. But definitely I've changed the way, the winds of what I'm eating during my day. So um, I wasn't eating before I exercised in the morning. So I would get up and often go to the gym and teach a class and then come home and have quite a big breakfast. And so now what I'm doing, and, and that basically was starting my day and I was going below, well below that four, negative 400 calories. Um, and so now what I'm doing is I'm getting up at the gym having, before the gym and having a protein shake with banana, which gets it to the pretty much perfect level. And then when I get home, I have kind of the other half of my breakfast. Um, and then that will get me through lunchtime. I also wasn't, I'd have lunch and then not eat until pretty much dinner time or I only have a small snack. And I've discovered that I need more of an afternoon snack because I tend to do exercise at night as well and maybe a little bit less for dinner as well. And it's just been, it's been a really, like I'm not someone who needs to worry about my weight and it wasn't necessarily about that, but it was really interesting just kind of seeing where my imbalances were happening in my diet. And um, and I, we've, I think we, it would be good to get him back on again because we didn't really get into the details of the foods because he was more interested in that whole idea of, well, it's more the energy balance we need to work on, but it would be interesting to talk to him about, okay, well, let's say you haven't mastered that in energy balance for weight loss, what should you be aiming for? Or for weight gain, what should you be aiming for? And I mm -hmm. think that's that's probably other questions we could ask him, but pretty interesting stuff. So if you want to check out his site, I would say it costs you seven bucks a month, and so I thought I'll do it for a month and just see how it goes. And I definitely gained some insights from doing it, so check it out. The app, I will say the app, 
it doesn't it's not that good you really need this site and the app by itself is actually a bit pointless so I wouldn't, mm. wouldn't necessarily bother with that it's just so hard because it's so contradictory to what we've already, you know, been hearing. You know about fasting before meal, before training, and getting your fat um, oxidization happening better through that. And then we're hearing something totally contradictory, which is eat before your training and have lots of small meals. So, look, it's um, there's no one right answer out there. If you've been trying another method and it just hasn't been working for you, then this maybe gives you another option and it might work for you. So it's um, it's difficult times trying to figure out what's exactly right. Um, but uh, yeah. it, re- it really is, isn't it? Because it's so <laughs> me- like every message contradicts the other message, doesn't it? Like it's such a yeah. confusing time around nutrition. Mm, and so, I mean, we hear so many of these, you know, paleo people and things like that, and they're they're very much. Uh, I find a lot of them have been self-taught, and they're and they're preaching um, their beliefs. But when you actually get you know, two guys like Noakes and um, Dan, yeah. Dan Benedot, who are both, you know, obviously incredibly intelligent people and been studying this for, and have got the science to back up what they're saying, it's, um, that's what makes it really, really confusing. But uh, hopefully you guys have, um, you know, take a little bit out of it and uh, potentially try new things. Okay, so uh, John, we're going to do a sponsor. Athlinks.com. So this weekend we have the Kona 70.3 and I'm always interested to see how races sort of change a little bit over the years. The Kona 70.3 actually used to be, uh, used to have a half Ironman in downtown Kona and apparently it used to be down at Kehoe and then they'd, they'd sort of cover much of the Ironman course but now it's moved out to Harpuna Beach which is towards the end of the Queen K um, and it's been really interesting to see that how it's changed since it's become a 70.3 they've had you can go onto athlinks.com and you can basically pull up the, ro- the, res- the race it's got all the results and then you can go back and you can see when they moved it in 2007 they had 920 and now it's built up to a race which has uh, got 1,466 athletes in it each year uh, and you can go through and you can see all the results for the years and it's just much easier to, to navigate your way around the ironman.com I find uh, last year we had uh, the first athletics finishes was David Condon in 420 and Nell Stevenson who was we had on the show talking about were, were you not hey, first? no oh really? No. yeah I thought uh, you were first no, I think I was third. And now, now Stevenson was uh, first female in five oh six, and then I, I can actually go back and tell you where I was placed, Bevan. I think we we had uh, unknown racer. That's right. Remember unknown racer? He he was uh, he was actually about fifth overall, and then I was second. Maybe oh, that's a bit of a tricky. Now we know who the unknown racer is. Uh, nice. <laughs> so the unknown racer was, uh, by the look of it, was David Condon. So there you go. He's not a secret anymore. And then I uh, also had a quick look at Iron Man. Um, and this was quite interesting, seeing how the Ironman finishes have changed here in Hawaii. Again, going on to athlinks.com, you can pull up uh, the Ironman race. They've got the results going back for, for many, many years. And last year, we I think we've gone over who was the first finishers. But in terms of the, how the race has grown, so in 1994, they go back. They only had 1,290 finishers in uh, I presume that's finishes in 1994 and then last year they had 1973s so it's grown quite a bit over these years last year first athletes finishes was uh, Paul Amy who's a pro and Amanda Stevens who's also a pro so there you go if you want to check out um, you know, the history of races how they've sort of grown the numbers and in terms of the breakdown of uh, you know male female at different events then check it out at athletes.com Good times, rock and roll, guys. Athlinks.com. Okay, Jonbo, tell us about the camp. 
Oh, it's all going pretty bloody good so far. Uh, yes, so we've just, we're about halfway through day two. Uh, everybody arrived safely. Day one, we kick off with a traditional ride over um, the Ironman bike course and we got short change yesterday, Bevan. I was a little bit disappointed. It's, it was the least, by a massive margin, least amount of wind I've ever, ever seen really? in play. So we got a little bit of uh, head uh, headwind crosswinds on the way back but the windy part of the course in Kona is the stretch out to Harvey and out there there was literally no wind whatsoever and, uh, and just unheard of so it was a bit bit crazy um, it was just calm so we had a, had a pretty fast ride and I had a good ride myself I sort of had a bit of a bit of objectives through the through the course of the course of the day I wanted to ride uh, at Ironman Power from Scenic Lookout which is about 35 k's into the ride um, through to Harvey which I achieved pretty well and then cruise down the hill from Harvey down to the, the Queen K and then wanted to ride the entire Queen K at Ironman effort uh, and that became challenging in a few points because it was starting to get a little toasty at times but uh, just managed to achieve that so I had a really successful run uh, ride and then we got off the bikes and we had a, a run Phil and I ran 10k's from where we're staying uh, down Ali'i Drive and up to the top of Palani turned around and came back and that all went pretty well and then we had a quick swim before dinner for 15-20 minutes Nice, it's a pretty big day Dave Dwan, uh, Dr. Feelgood needs something off me what does he need? Love? He needs a, he needs a key. He needs a key. Give him the key. Yeah, give him a key. I'll, I'll go get him in, in just a minute. Uh, so it's all going very well. And today we went out and swam first thing in the morning. We did a 1,500-meter uh, race, and I basically did a handicap race based off people's Ironman time. So we all stood on there, and, and there was an 11-minute spread from the first person to head off to me, and I was the last person to finish, uh, to head off. And Beth Scholes from the UK took that out on the handicap line honours, and I swam to the almost swam to the wrong boy. So I swam about an extra 152. <laughs> Meters. But whilst we had easy conditions, very easy conditions yesterday, uh, the swim today was incredibly rough. It was very, very choppy, big swells coming in, so that certainly uh, presented a bit of a challenge. Had a quick snack and then we went down and ran uh, 16k or 10 miles from the energy lab back to our accommodation and that got pretty toasty. So it's all good. And then this afternoon we're uh, going to go, the minimum is sort of a 40k, very, very tough hill ride. Uh, and then the a lot of the others are doing 115 to 120 k's on the bike, so it's going to be a big afternoon for them. Wow! So it is going to be a big afternoon. So and so then over the next few days. Uh, then tomorrow we make our way over to Hilo, which is going to be a massive day. We have to start early. We bike 150 k's with a huge amount of climbing to the far side of the island uh, to Volcano, and we have a run in the Volcano National Park, and then we get back on our bikes and ride another 50 k's down to Hilo. So 200 k's all up on the bike with a lot of climbing and uh, and a run, and we won't have time for a swim tomorrow. It's going to be a massive day. Wow, sounds like fun. And we've got to just say a quick thanks to our sponsors for the camp, Infinite, Blue 70, um, and Fuel Belt. I had the new f- fancy Fuel Belt today. It was fantastic. All the campers got one of them, and you could clip your bottles onto the side, and it was just perfect. Oh, that's great. Extreme, extreme endurance, salt stick, coffees of Hawaii, and everybody's loving, but a generation you can. Okay, guys, so what we're going to do right now is I'm going to do a few interviews with a couple of the epic campers, so we'll start putting them on now, and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes later on the show. Okay, team, so I've got Eddie Farrell here, and now I don't know where he's from. What's, what's the accent, mate? 
Uh, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, so wait a second. So tell us a bit about yourself, Eddie. Uh, well, I sell real estate back there in Tennessee, and I um, have been doing triathlon for since 2010. And, uh, and, and what kind of distances have you been doing? Uh, um, I've done one full and uh, lots of halves. Half is my favorite. And, and um, so, you know, a sprint and Olympics too. And which, which field did you do? Uh, Ironman New York, the one in oh, wow. uh, New York City. Yeah, the one and only. So what was it like? Was it, you know, because obviously it kind of didn't continue on, but what was the actual experience like? Uh, logistically a nightmare. Really? Um, the only good thing about it was the swim <laughs> because it was downstream. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we had to be on a bus at 3 a.m. to leave for the swim start. Oh, really? And then take two ferries before we could swim. So yeah, it was just logistics were bad. And and you really didn't get to see much of New York City. You got to go over the bridge. That was it. Everything else was in New Jersey in the woods. Oh, really? And so um, you could kind of see that it wasn't necessarily a long-term plan to be able to maintain. Yes. Hey, so um, so what made you want to do the camp? Uh, one of my good friends, uh, Scott Blackman, just called me one day. I, I was in the dumps last year, had a bad year, and he said, this will get you back into it for uh, 2014. So I didn't even actually know what the camp was and just signed up. Oh, wow. <laughs> Pro- then- probably wasn't my best move, but yeah. <laughs> and, and can you tell me, have you done camps before? Uh, I have done small camps, nothing like this. So, so I suppose the first question I have is, how do you prepare coming into a camp like this? Well, I thought I was doing a pretty good job preparing, just uh, just getting ready. I'm training for Ironman Chattanooga and uh, just getting some good base until I saw the itinerary. And then I realized I needed to kick it up a little. But, uh, you know, I just went into it with a good positive mind set that uh, this was just going to be base building for me for Ironman Chattanooga. Yep. And, and so what is it, day two or three? Um, day two. And so it's kind of early on in the piece, but how, how's it been going? Oh, it's awesome. We got here a couple of days early, so we did some, some stuff when we first got here too, but it's, it's awesome. Great group of people, and it's been a ton of fun. Can, can, you know, like, there's obviously a, a training component to doing camps, and you know, it's obviously about getting away from your real world and, and not thinking about much else other than training, but what are some of the other benefits of being a camp that you've experienced? Um, connecting with other people have been great. Um, trying to learn um, a little Kiwi, um, <laughs> getting people to slow down enough so I understand it. We talk a little slower in the South. Yeah. Um, th- that and, and just hearing different people's stories. Um, I've got some a unique story on how I got into triathlon. So just I like hearing how other people have done it and whether they've been uh, athletic their whole life or uh, they just got into it late in life or all that kind of stuff. So can you share your unique story of us? Uh, sure. Um, in 2000, uh, uh, January of 2009, I was 369 pounds. Uh, really? I don't know what that tra- translates. Um, it's big. It, yeah, 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 it's huge. And, uh, and I was uh, pretty... So what were you, 300 and what? 69. Wow, so that's like 150 kg. That's more yeah. than 150 kg. I think maybe someone told me last night at dinner it was 160. I don't, I don't know for sure though, but um, it's actually, I was it's, big. It's about 165. Whoa, yeah. it's massive. Yeah, and I was also a, a pretty bad alcoholic and uh, enjoyed drugs as well. Wow. 
You got so, it. You were like, I'm doing it all. I'm in. I'm, there's no mucking around. Yeah, yeah. So I, I lived a pretty different life, and uh, then uh, a friend of mine told me I should go on the show Biggest Loser. Oh, really? um, and I thought, I thought, well, I'm not big enough for that. And she said, uh, actually, yes, you are. And uh, that's when I realized I needed to start maybe trying to make a change. And then uh, I didn't stop the drinking and, and drugging when I first started training and then realized that uh, other athletes didn't wake up and do a, a thing of Coke and some vodka <laughs> to get rolling. So It wasn't, I, uh, it wasn't great, it was the greatest carbo load. No, no, it didn't work out so good. So uh, I lost 130-something pounds the first year wow. and uh, got off uh, everything else, got clean and sober on August 29th was the last day I ever had anything. I shouldn't. And uh, so it's, it's been a good journey. I've, I've uh, really enjoyed the triathlon scene. Um, I'm the president of the Nashville Tri Club. I have a, uh, I'm partners with some people on a coaching uh, company, and, and we're developing an app for coaches. And, and I, it's just kind of taken over my whole life and it's it's been good for me can it, you know like obviously there's there's the the physical transition that you've been through um and, and you know when you've been you know 165 kg or 360 pounds that's that's obviously pretty massive can you tell us the difference just in not just as an i'm an athlete but just in day-to-day life and losing that much weight uh you know just really such a mental uh change for everything like food was my uh you know, I kind of coped with so much with food and, and I ate so bad and, and uh, I um, – so just thinking mentally different, thinking about everything I eat and thinking about how much I exercise and how what goes in, not just uh, – you know, a lot of people do it just because what they know what their training workout is, but I'm, I'm still trying to lose weight. I, last year, I had a bad – in 2012, I had – after Ironman, I had a bad bike wreck. And then they, while I was in the hospital for the bike wreck, they found uh, thyroid cancer. Oh, no. So um, last year was a off year for me, but that, and that's part of the reason why I came to this was to spring back up for 2014. So I really I, I paid a lot of attention to uh, just what I eat and, and try and stay positive about everything because you know my, even my bad days now are so much better than my good days then. So yeah. it, it's it's totally different, and you know. It's 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 a different uh, group of people to be around, and, and they're so encouraging. Um, yeah. This group of athletes here are super encouraging. I was a little worried. You know, John sent me an email early on um, after I signed up saying I'd be the slowest person here, which FYI, I haven't been totally. Oh, nice. So, uh, nice. Um, but uh, it, it was a little – at first, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go. And then I thought, you know uh, – once I've been here, everyone's been so encouraging and helpful. And, uh, you know, John ran for a minute with me and helped me with some, some stuff on my run today. And other people have helped with stuff on the bike. So it's been great, you know, just people sharing and helping. Can I ask, um, you know, like obviously, you know, one of the things I'm always facing, I'm kind of always interested in the mind side of exercise. And one thing I'm always interested in is, you know, like for someone who's used kind of abusive, destructive behaviors around coping in life, how much – how much has that just been replaced with just with exercise and how has that made it better? Well, uh, you know, at first I, I did a really bad job of literally um, 
changing and, and doing, uh, I was a little addicted to exercise yeah. and I, w- I wasn't doing it in a very healthy way um, where I was always using drugs and alcohol and, and food to cope. I just would uh, go work out all the time yeah. and um, it really didn't work for me. I was always run down and I, I couldn't ever get better at anything yeah. because I was just working out all the time. But all I could think about is uh, more calories burned, more calories burn, just keep burning more calories, don't yeah. take in any. And, um, so when I learned to have a little bit more balance and, and with triathlon, that's probably what helped because before I was just working out um, all the time at the gym. And when I realized that there were uh, this sport was out there and um, I like the bike a whole lot and um, I'm not good at swimming or running, and uh, but it's always a challenge to see how I can get better. And being a big guy, I mean, I'm still big. Um, so I'm still 240 pounds and I'd like to get back down to 220 or 215, but it's still fun to watch people, um, say stuff like, Oh, you don't, you don't look like you could do an Ironman or, Oh, you don't look like you could run a marathon. Um, and then go do it. So that, that part of it's really fun. Mm. It's, um, yeah, well, it sounds like you've been through a pretty amazing journey. Now, John was saying you're a bit of a shopaholic. (laughs) <laughs> so it sounds like the addiction's gone a bit to shopping. Uh, well, you know, the first day here, I, I spent a little too much at the bike shop, and they won't let me live it down. But they are going to probably rename Bike Works to Eddie Works. Oh, it's a bit, so, a bit like that, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I bought the store, so uh, I got I got a little overwhelmed. You know, I've watched uh, every Kona video. I, I, I'm just uh, so uh, enthralled with being here, and you know, I just kept getting excited. Uh, uh, and just kept bringing more to the register. So, yeah, I, I definitely overdid it. So, so can I ask, is this your first time to Kona for training? Yes. So, oh, you know, as you talk about that, what's that experience like, you know, to actually be the place you've watched all these films, to actually be, because yesterday you rode the course, so, you know, like to go through those experiences, even though it isn't in the race, I'm sure it's still a pretty special experience. Oh, it's so amazing. Um, very nostalgic. Just, I mean, I've watched it so many times and I've had friends do it. So I've tracked them live and just to, to figure out where they were at, at their low point or where they were at their high point or why they had a certain section of their run that was slower uh, or faster or same thing on the bike. Just um, so many times you watch those videos and, and you just see a glimpse of the the lava fields and um it's not just a glimpse <laughs> they, yeah. they go on for they go on and on so uh seeing all that stuff was just amazing hey well, eddie thank you so much for your time and, and good luck for the rest of the camp it sounds like you're going to be having an amazing experience are you are you racing this weekend we yes i am oh good luck with the race as well so you have an right. awesome time and well done on your journey mate and long may it continue i'm sure you're a pretty positive influence around those in your own world back home so keep up the good work mate you're doing great i appreciate it awesome thanks for Okay, guys, sponsor. Coffeesofhawaii.com. John, you know what I need at night? I need some decaf. Did you get yes. me some? I've got you decaf. Oh, you're a legend. There's no denying it. Yeah. Two packs, even. Two packs? Yeah. I could be a rap star. You could. Two pack, you get it? Yeah, I've got, I've got it. Oh, good. We've got, we got <laughs> Dave Dwan's come up with a new nickname. We've got David Doherty on, uh, on the camp, and he's, he's given him a nickname, D Squared. D squared. Because he's David Doherty, DD, D squared. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yes. So, yeah, so the, the coffee's going great. Everybody's got a little pouch of uh, coffees of Hawaii as part of their welcome um, to the camp. And then we've also got coffee in every room. So, everybody's waking up in the morning nice and perky and getting out there and. Uh, and perky as and percolated. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Let's and keep then- coming. 
And Bevan's going to be, uh, yeah, crap. He, he won't be too perky when he gets his coffee because it's decaf. And well, so, John, it's, it's, it's funny you say this because I was speaking to someone the other day and I was saying they drink decaf at night. And I said, does it taste different? I said, no, no, it's, it's great. You can really, it's a really awesome option if you love your coffee, but you don't want to have the caffeine at night. So, looking forward to trying it. Sweet. Okay. So, guys, if you want to check out uh, Coffees of Y, click on, we've got a new logo, I think, up on our website. So, check it out. Okay, I've got Neil. Now, Neil is Romeo. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, and this was probably, how long ago was it, Neil? Um, 2007. Wow. So 2007 was Athlinks started sponsoring the show, and you know we were kind of getting people involved. And then not long after Athlinks started sponsoring the show, Neil came on and said he'd met a girl on Athlinks. That's how it happened, wasn't it? It was. You, you guys actually said... Um what you wanted to do was increase the numbers on Athlinks. So you said, you know, go on Athlinks, you know, email somebody, tell them about Ironman Talk. So I emailed somebody called Beth who lived in Phoenix, Arizona. And really the idea was that, you know, I'd never been to Arizona. I was never going to go. So pick somebody who is, you know, a hundred miles or a million yeah. miles away. And, and, uh, and who's hot, obviously. And who's hot, <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> Actually, she, she had the worst photograph on Athlinks, you know, I don't know if anyone I've ever seen, but... Uh, However, she turned out to be extremely hot. <laughs> so wait, so you just you, so you emailed her, and, and so and so, hey, listen to this podcast was pretty much what you said, was it? That's exactly what I said. I said, you know, this is a great podcast. You know, you've done a couple of sprint tries. You need to do Ironman, and you need to listen to these guys because it's it's gold. So what did she think when she got that email? She emailed me back, and she said, "You're too fast to be my friend," which is. Uh, quite amusing as she's now this morning she has run faster than me and I think yesterday she cycled faster than me at the, uh, the talk, on the Ironman course but um, yeah and we just got talking and um, and then uh, a couple of months later I actually had to go to Chicago um, for business and she flew across from Phoenix and the rest is history. Like it blew our mind away at the time. You didn't muck around either. You were like married pretty quickly, weren't you? We were. We met in the July, and we were married in the May of two thousand and eight. And I'm sure nobody thought it was going to last. And here we are in Hawaii six years later, happily married. Such a great story. Hey, so um, so this is your first. Like you, you are a coach yourself, aren't you, Neil? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you got yeah. what's your website? You got the great website. What's it? It's um... yeah. So it's some um, performance hyphen uh, edge.me so performance hyphen edge.me and I also um, I got my break really with a guy called James Dunn at uh, kinetic hyphen revolution.com who does uh, run analysis yeah. um, I started heading up the kind of coaching side of that and um, I'm still working very much with him but that's very much run focus and, and obviously I'm a triathlete Beth and I are triathletes so um, we kind of set our own website up and I'll be honest with you a lot of it is and I said this to you and John at the time a lot of it is um, as a result of what you guys were doing it really gave me a kind of impetus to do it and um, and actually if my bosses are listening I'm going to give up work in about four weeks time wow yeah, go full-time coaching. So uh, you, I hope they're listening. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, uh, by the way, I just quit. Take this job yes. and shove it. Hey, um, yeah. <laughs> so can you, can you talk about this? Because I know there's a lot of guys out there who listen to the show who are pretty passionate about our sport and have the dream of, you know, taking that jump. You know, they might do a little bit of part-time coaching and they might, you know, have got experience that they can share. Um, but, you know, that jump's a big jump. And so can you maybe talk a little bit about how, 
you've gotten to this point, you know, and what's been the process that's, you know, A, bringing income in and then B, where it's big enough where you can take that risk of leaving the security of an everyday job? Yeah, so, I mean, I did a, I mean, I did a sports science degree and, and then I did um, some uh, sports performance masters in, at the University of Bath and that was back in 2005. And then the head triathlon coach there was off to the Commonwealth Games with Julie Dibbins and he actually asked me if I would step in um, and take the elite squad. So all of a sudden I was coaching Richard Allen, Julie Dibbins, Harry Wiltshire, you know, and I was just a kind of rookie coach. Yeah. Really. Um, and, but to be honest, they, they were, they were great. You know, they, they just did what I told them to do and, and, and it kind of worked. And then I started coaching individuals, you know, I wasn't charging anyone. Um, and I was coaching individuals and they, they, they all actually did, did very well. You know, people went to the worlds, people went to Hawaii and things like that. And it was really when I met James, um, I, I kind of started with him and I started really with one person, just, just paying me a bit of money and, and, and I think I did a, you know, a really good job with them and, and it really just kind of built up, um, to the point where, um, I had to either give up coaching or give up working and it, you know, to be honest, it's not the best financial decision I've ever made in my life but mm. it's probably the best life decision I've ever made and do you know what you only get one life so you know I'm going to give it a go and if it doesn't work you know I can go back to work that's that to be honest yeah it is interesting fitness I work in fitness as well fitness is yeah. ultimately a very rewarding industry to work in but financially it doesn't have the rewards of many other industries and so it is that that kind of balance between I'm doing my passion and how do I make it work with the lifestyle around it as well isn't it no, absolutely. And and triathlon is a lifestyle sport, and I know people say that, and it's a bit of a cliche, but it really is. And when you come on something like Epic, Epic Camp Light, you know, you, you realize it is. You know, all the guys here, all the girls here, um, you realize that everyone's just passionate about the sport, you know, regardless of what their performance is. You know, mm. everyone just, just loves the sport. So have, um, you, have you done many camps in your time? We've done a few, and, and we, we do really well on camps um, because, I mean, I haven't thought about work once. You know, you yeah. just... You just, I mean, you know what it's like, Bevan, but you just train and yep. you eat some great food and you kind of talk to the people and then you go to sleep and you get up and you do it again. It really is a total kind of triathlon immersive experience, isn't it? You know, like, you know, we, especially long course triathletes, we are a bit of a strange bunch and, and you know, in each community there's only a few of us and uh, you go to a camp and it's like, it's just a world of me, if you know what I mean. And you're kind of doing the thing you love with people who are just want to share that passion and, and it just makes it easy, doesn't it? Like camps are hard, but they're easy as well. They are, you know, absolutely. And and you're absolutely right. It's, it's that ease of just swim bike run sleep eat you know yeah. type thing but it's you know it's it's kind of long you know long days i mean yesterday we had you know um you know we we kind of had a you know swim bike and run but, yeah. but you know I mean, that's what you do but we rode the full ironman course and then ran off the bike and then went for a swim for dinner and this morning we've done a um we did a 3k ocean swim and then a 10 mile run from the energy lab back to the hotel and we're, we're off for a bike ride in about an hour's time i think so yeah, sounds pretty great. Hey, so what are the goals for you moving forward, other than becoming a full-time coach, for just your personal athletic experience? Um, I guess just trying to balance, you know, it's just that balance to be able to, to do the coaching, but still to compete, you know. We've got no no kind of massive goals in terms of, you know, qualifying for this, that and the other. But we've, we've both got an Ironman in July. Beth's doing the outlaw. Oh, um, cool. And I'm doing a race called Triathlon Vittoria, which used to be Challenge Vittoria. And now it's um, Indy Costlanos is running a race. Oh, really? In, 
place called Vitoria Gastias in in northern Spain. Um, so it's kind of cool, you know, low key race, um, kind of small numbers, but but non WTC. So we both got that, and then um, we'll see what happens from there forward. Hey, you know, like one of the talks that John and I have right now on the show is just how dominant you know you, you poms seem to be at the sport right now you know in long course we've got all those strong females and then in the short course you know there just seems to be a, a never-ending supply of pretty top level athletes you know what, what's some insight to what's happening in the uk with the sport right now because it you know they just seem to have getting a lot of things right yeah i mean to be honest is it's i mean john john and i have talked about this in the camp and and john will say it's money but but i think actually you know it's a real a really good long-term athletic development program i mean on the elite side there's a very good kind of um, um, conveyor belt. I mean, basically, if you can swim 400 meters in a certain time and run 3K in a certain time, then you get on the elite program as a oh, junior really? and you're just taken through. Um, and, you know, some will fall away by the wayside and, and others will stay and, and kind of make it. But, you know, obviously we've got the Brownleys at the moment, but we've also got a huge conveyor belt of good people behind them and you'll see them all kind of coming through in in all levels of sport and i think the other side is the kind of coaching network so i did all of my level one two three british triathlon courses um and that's a you know really well structured um setup that they've got and they're bringing through you know hundreds of unpaid coaches per mm, year yeah um, and obviously they're coaching you know, juniors and coaching adults, and then you know somebody will come along who's actually quite good, and they get passed up the up the kind of the ladder onto that conveyor belt, and and some of them pop out the other end. But there's there's lots of these kids. Mm. Um, what about just participation in general triathlon? Like you know, like obviously there's this kind of pointy and top end of the sport right now. But what about just as an everyday kind of Joe public? Is it, is it still pretty big, or how's it going? Like New Zealand triathlons. We tend to have there's two levels. There's kind of um, lots of entry level events which tend to get really good numbers, and then you'll get the big events, and then the, the middle ground's a little bit lost right now in the sport. What's happening in the UK with that? Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's good numbers. I mean, and and it's still very much a grassroots sport. Um, yeah. You know, Beth and I did a race two weeks ago, which was a, a kind of middle distance, you know, half Ironman distance race, and and you know there was there was people there on mountain bikes and, and all of that, and which is great for the sport. And you had people on, you know, kind of P Cervelo P fives with disc wheels and, and things yeah. like that. But but you know, you get the full range of the sport, which I think is really really important. Um, and it's still seen as a real challenge, I think, to do a to do a triathlon, um, which it should be. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, for sure. Yeah. Hey, well, um, goal for the weekend. Are you racing? You're doing the race? We are, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I haven't done a WTC race in 2006, so I'm going to be interested to see how I go against other people. I think I'm, you know, I think this camp really sets people up quite well for it. Yeah. On paper, it, it seems like it wouldn't do, but I think you acclimatise quite well, and certainly speaking to people on the camp, I mean, some people on the camp have been here, this is the third year. So yeah. um, I think that, you know, what they said was that uh, um, the, the race actually feels really short. So, yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to it and, and give it a go. And I'm looking forward to seeing how, how Beth goes because she's, uh, 
she's she's gone very well this year. Hey, so again, the, the website is performance slash edge.me, and I'll put a link to that on www.imtalk.me. So if you're looking for a coach, he's, he's taking the plunge, he's quit his job on the show. So uh, just, put, <laughs> yeah, just, got, just send this link to your boss. That's all you need to do. <laughs> yeah, I've got to pay the mortgage somehow. So yeah, <laughs> if anyone wants to get in touch with me, send me an email. And uh, we've got a blog running at the moment, an Epic Camp blog, so they can go on and see what what the guys and girls are, are doing here and that's everywhere and, in the world uh, he does Skype consultations and stuff like that as well so if you are looking for a coach check out Neil and Beth as well and uh, good luck this weekend and good speaking to you mate yeah do you want to speak to Beth oh yeah go on then chuck her on okay here she is hi Bevan hey Beth how you going I'm alright how are you so the question I have is when you got the Athlinks email what, were you, what did you think um I don't remember. I just remember thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> and why is, he, why is he emailing me? <laughs> Stranger danger. Yeah, but yeah, it was nice though. It was kind of kind of cool. So, so for so for you, because you lived in America, didn't you? I did, yeah. And so, so you, like, it's interesting just the transition you guys had. It was obviously you, you obviously fell deeply in love with you very quick, and, uh, and but the the, <laughs> the the life change was obviously a lot bigger for you because you had to shift to the UK. So, what was that like? It did. Well, I was in the middle of, of kind of a life change anyway. So I was moving to Colorado and uh, um, decided, well, before I do that, I guess I could try coming out to see Neil for a little bit and um, ended up staying. And the next thing you know, eh? And yeah, yeah, he... He won me over. <laughs> so were you, a like Neil was saying, you did a little bit of triathlon. Were you doing much triathlon yeah. before you were with Neil? Or? Uh, no, I did my first one, I think in 2006 or 2007. It was a try for life, so all-female kind yep. of sprint try. Yeah, entry-level kind of. Yeah, yeah, and it was really nice. It was, it was great, you know, friendly people, and, I, you know, it wasn't a race for me by any means. I was on a mountain bike and yep. kind of – you know, cycled in my running shoes and didn't know much about it. But yeah, it's it's great. And so then nowadays, you obviously Neil seems you're getting pretty sharp. You know, what what's the kind of big goals for you with your racing right now? <clears throat> um, since we're just getting back to triathlon, uh, it's all kind of just getting used to all the training. I think because um, we were just running for so long, you know, two years and did comrades twice. So it was oh, just run. Yeah, just running, running, running. So it's just it's nice to have that the the mix of sport. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, I'm 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 enjoying running again, so that's nice. <laughs> just get a little bit over it, did you? Yeah, I did. That that second second comrades I was kinda never wanted to run again. <laughs> So, like, for, for those who don't know about Comrades, Comrades is this big South African ultra-distance race, which is about 90 k's, isn't it? It's 90 k, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of one of the world-iconic kind of long-distance courses. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about the experience? Um, so the, the first time I did it, it was the down run. Um, so it started in P- Peter, Peter Marisburg and, and ends in Durban. Um, so it's, it's – although they say it's downhill – uh, the down run. I think it's um, about even. Oh, so really? you're climbing. Yeah, you're climbing a lot and descending a lot. Yeah. Um, but you do end up in Durban, which is sea level. So it's it's it was hard and it was beautiful and it was great because from the moment you land, it's just you know South Africa kind of. Yep. 
kind of welcomes you with open arms and, and everyone's excited that you're doing the race and everyone, you know, kind of wants to do the race or is planning to do the race so it's, or has done the race, you know, multiple times. So it's, it was just really great. And I think that's why we went back the second time for the most part. Yep. Not, you know, not just to, to run it again, but just to have that whole experience. The, 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 are the crowds, they, I've heard the crowds are phenomenal. Is that true? The crowds are crazy. It's so awesome. Everyone just kind of lines the road um, barbecuing, you know, cheering you on. And really? It is. It's fantastic. And is it the whole race or? Yeah, pretty much the whole race. Wow, I, I don't remember. Days. I, yeah, I don't remember any kind of lonely parts. Wow. That, at that is, all. It is phenomenal. Yeah, it um, is. Oh, no, you go. Pardon? Oh, no, I thought you were saying something. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so the goal for you this weekend? I don't know. I'm going to try and get through this week. <laughs> <laughs> survive. Yeah, I'm going to survive the week and, and yeah, I don't know, see how it goes on Saturday. I'm not kind of, I'm not, I don't have any goals at the moment. So I'd just see, how, just see how it goes. But you are doing the Outlaw in, when's that, July? In July, yeah, end of July. And is it that your kind of big A race for the year? That's my A race. Um, yeah, the, we did Barcelona, Challenge Barcelona in 2010. Um, so this is my kind of comeback to that distance. Mm, well, so luck. hopefully, yeah, thanks. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for coming on the show. And it's nice to kind of meet you guys. You know, you've been such one of the great stories of our show. So it's really just kind of nice to meet you and enjoy the rest of the camp. And uh, good luck as, as you transition to this coaching lifestyle. Uh, thanks, Bevan. It's really nice to talk to you because I listen to you all the time. So it's kind of surreal to... To yeah. actually have a conversation with you. <laughs> these these, these but, people we know in our worlds, isn't it? It's kind of strange. It is, yeah. 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 Across, across the world. Yeah, it's great. Um, oh, you go. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Okay, Jombo, we are back. And uh, so we've done the interviews. And uh, Jombo, what last sponsor of the show? Extreme Endurance. I've got to say, everybody's uh, on the campers loving their Extreme Endurance. They've got a travel pack uh, coming into the camp, which means that sort of just lasts you a week. And... It's it's a lifesaver when you come on camp. So you know, I'm I'm taking my immune boost to make sure I stay nice and healthy during camp, and the extreme endurance to help with the recovery, the muscle soreness, and also making sure you know when I come out the other end of the camp, I'm not going to be too beaten up. So a bit of a lifesaver, especially with the the race at the end of the camp. So that's what I'm on. I'm on the immune boost and the extreme endurance, and I would have been on the omega as well, but I forgot it, so I'm not oh, on it for this camp. <laughs> um, so and, and all the other guys we've got a lot of athletes on the camp who absolutely love it and one of those is uh, Scott Blackman who I think you will have just had a chat to a couple of minutes ago and yeah all the guys are loving it so check it out xendurance.com if you use the code IAMTALK5 you get a 5 buck discount if you're Kiwis and Aussies you can order it through me at coachjohnnewsome.com I think that's the thing is like now is a definite time where you want to be using an extreme endurance kind of product, isn't it? If you're going on a big camp, mm. you're really going to be overloading your body. It's, it's the perfect time, isn't it? It is. So, I mean, the extreme endurance is making sure, you know, my muscles aren't getting as sore and I'm bouncing back and, and able to perform very, very well. And the immune boost is more my sort of security to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be getting pretty depleted on a daily basis and that's sort of going to be covering off uh, all my bases in terms of trying to keep me as healthy as possible and, you know, not end up sick and, and equally not being sick on the camp, but also making sure that I'm as healthy as I can be coming out the other end because that's a real danger in doing these extreme camps and then getting on a plane getting on there with about 300 unhealthy people coughing and spluttering all over you uh you know i want to get on that flight as, as healthy as i can 
Okay, Jombo, ExtremeEndurance.com, guys. Check, check, check it out. Okay, Jombo, so sponsors are? Extreme Endurance. Your Lactic Buffer. TrainerRoad.com. Get in the team. Athlinks.com. Um, social networking for endurance athletes. And Coffees of Hawaii. Decaf time. Okay, Jombo, so what's, what's the goss from here on in? Who's the character here- of the camp? Oh, well, you've had a chat to Eddie. I, don't, I didn't, haven't actually heard how animated he was when you interviewed him. No, we, we, we went the serious route because he had a good story. Yeah, he's, uh, he's pretty entertaining. We've got, it's just a, it's a good group and we've got you know, a, a really um, big mix of males and females, so it's not a male-dominated camp, I think. So we've got 19 athletes plus me, so that's 20 plus three support crew. And out of them, I think it's not quite 50-50, but I think we have eight males, 11 females. So it's a really good mix, um, big mix of abilities. You know, I'm the fastest on the camp. We've got a fillinator here, a couple of other guys who are sort of uh, Kona hopefuls, and then a lot of the others are sort of ra- range out to sort of 12 hours. I'm not sure if anybody's slower than 13, but sort of we've got athletes from basically nine hours through to 13 hours. So their guys are absolutely loving it. It's um, you, know, you just see the smiles on their face when they're running down lead drive or going out swimming. I've got to tell you, the first first before the camp we went out swimming first time ever I've had it we were totally swimming with the dolphins so we were yeah. swimming off the pier and was, we could see them when we, we headed out and it was a school of about 20-25 of them and when I was coming in um, I could hear this beep, beep, <laughs> under the water and I just looked up and they were literally 5-10 to 10 metres away and, and wow. they were even swimming swimming under some of the other athletes so it was uh, very very cool to have that how, so, how, how special was that because like, that's a wicked that must have just been mind blowing Oh yeah, no, and it's the first, I know it happens to a number of people over here, but it's the first time you know we've swum out here heaps and heaps, and it's the first time it's re- been remotely close to happening for me. So that was uh, that was very very cool, and for the guys who've just heard so much about Kona and and also the camp and stuff to finally come over here and actually see what it's all about, it's um, it's a big buzz for them. So pleased for them, and uh, looking forward to a good week. Oh, good times, Bevan. What's and happening in your world? It's a bit chilly over there. A bit chilly. I had band practice last night, John. You know what's you know band life is a con- contrasting life mm-hmm. because I was in band practice last night and there's two studios, guys, and we've got my studio, my band in, and then another studio where there's kind of I wouldn't say reggae, but kind of like that New Zealand kind of dub sound. You know, if you know what I mean. And there was a funny smell coming out of the room, John. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a funny smell. And <laughs> they weren't farting. No, they weren't farting, and there was lots of laughter, and they seemed really hungry, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> and it did make me smile. I was like, oh, I definitely have these these two worlds that I'm in nowadays. And so, I think a bit of marijuana was going on, John. A bit mm. of marijuana. So that was always entertaining. Um, we're off to Melbourne. Actually, we're going to Melbourne next week. So going on nice. holiday. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and it's really just about getting ready for that. So yeah, that's about that's pretty much it. Mm, nice. Yeah, okay. Much it. So it's me. Sweet. Done. Oh. Done. I'll see, you. I'll see you next week. So, yep, that's us, guys. So we'll be back on the show next week. So uh, check, check, check it out. Remember, Legends of Triathlons is out there for this month. So go get that one and tell your friends about it. And other than that, well, let's wrap this one up, Jumbo. I'm Russ. I'm Mean Don't. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. Kia kaha. Love your work.